It's the first Monday of the month and we're responding to your questions. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 483. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. Once a month, we open up the episode to respond to your questions. If you have a question you'd like us to address in a future episode, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. That's the best way to get it to us. I am joined this month, as I am most months, by Bonnie Stahoviak. Hello, Bonnie. Hi, Dave. Glad to have you back. We've got lots of questions to tackle during this time of change and so many places for us to uh, dive in on here today. So why don't we just jump in on the first question that came in from Kirsten. Kirsten writes, I would say that I'm very new to the leadership world. I just started to really dive into learning about leadership this past year or so. With that being said, I've learned so much and continue to learn every day. I just started a new position as a supervisor, which I know I will use many leadership skills in. I'm also young in this role, and I get a lot of shock when people find out how old I am. I feel as with my young age and new leadership role, people might have some doubt or might not take me as seriously. I work with many others that have had many more years of experience and that are older than me. So here are my questions. One, do you have any resources that would be great for the young and upcoming leader? Number two, Are there any leaders you know of that have started their leadership journey in their early 20s? If so, can you please share with us where we can read about their journey? And number three, are there any tips that you would give me or other young leaders for leading or managing people that are older than us? Thank you both for taking the time for reading and responding to all my questions. Your podcast has been a great resource for learning more about leadership and giving me useful skills that I can use every day. Well, Kirsten, thank you so much for this question. And first, as an immediate thought, is one past episode that we had uh, done, oh gosh, seven or eight years ago now, Bonnie, but still just as relevant as it was when we aired it. It's episode 59, Seven Principles for Leading People Older Than You. And Bonnie and I actually did this episode together because both of us earlier in our careers found ourselves in this situation often where we were in positions of leadership, either formal or informal. And we were often working with teams of people and influencing stakeholders that were older than us because both of us had positions of leadership in our mid to late 20s uh, earlier in our careers. So I think that would be a really helpful starting point for you, Kirsten, on just thinking about this topic. And you asked for resources and where would be places you could go as you were starting your leadership journey. So that would be one place. Also, I think potentially a couple of books, and then also a few people to know about and maybe even some other things to go listen to. So uh, one book that I have always found to be really useful as a overall framework for leadership is a book called The Leadership Challenge by Kuzis and Posner. It's in its fifth or sixth edition now, and it is probably the best book I know that is both really good at, they have gone out and researched the everyday leaders. It's also really good at painting a picture of almost everything that a leader would need to know as far as overall principles. Now, there are other books that are better on specifics, and you've heard many of them on this show many times, 
But as far as an overall framework, I really like the leadership challenge because I think it is really helpful to paint the picture of overall, what are the big things that you need to think about? And I think it's also been helpful to me when I've dived in on it in the past of where are some of my blind spots, things that when I read you know, their, their practices, I think like, oh, I'm really, I feel like this is something I know about, I'm good at. And then there's other things like, ooh, yeah, I don't know very much about that, or I haven't really thought much about that. And those are places that I think will help you to surface quicker some of the things that you may be doing or not doing as a leader that you could then improve upon. The other book that I often recommend is a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I think it's just a wonderful uh, framework of principles for human relations of for any professional to have, but especially leaders of how to listen well to people, of how to look at things from the other person's perspective. And it is a framework that's been very popular for 100 years. I think it's just a wonderful place to start. Now, as far as specific people, because that's part of what you asked for too, one person that I think is just really just an incredible leader and just is a wonderful story to share about her journey through leadership is Kristen Hadid. She has been on the show before. I will link to the episode where we featured her. She is the CEO of an organization called Student Made, a organization she started when she was in college and it grew and she became CEO and she started from very... <laughs> humble beginnings of this organization of literally wanting to go find some work so she could buy a nice pair of jeans. That was where the story started and quickly found herself overseeing this organization, not only a young person herself, but also leading an organization of young people, college students mostly, and has grown in this incredibly successful story. And she talks about some of her early struggles as a leader, and she shares that often online. I think she'd be a wonderful person for you to know and to follow. Uh, she has a wonderful book out as well that really kind of goes through the journey of what's it like to be a leader who's young, who hasn't had a lot of leadership experience before taking on a really big project. And she's just such a vulnerable, authentic, heartfelt. I mean, just all the things you would want a leader to be, Kristen really is. So I think that that's a wonder, she'd be a wonderful person to start with. Also, a couple of folks who have been on our Saturday cast before, I think would be wonderful people to for you to know and to potentially listen to some of the things that they've done in their journeys. One of them is Johanna Nalau. She is uh, one of our Academy alums. She is in Australia doing work on climate adaptation. She's a young professional in her career and has had some tremendous success, including uh, visible work in publications around the world on climate change. And she talks about her journey on one of the past Saturday casts, so I'll, uh, I'll certainly link to that for you. The other person that I'm thinking about we've had on the show recently is Elena Kornoff. She and her husband, Josh, are doing this incredible work to lead a small business here in Southern California, went through a tremendously difficult time with COVID and having to change up their whole business model. And she has really had some wonderful things that she's discovered along the way and talks about that in her episode. The other story that just came up for me is Bonnie, do you remember seeing that? Did we see this together, that movie about Catherine Graham, The Post? Do you remember that? Oh, Did yeah. Did I see it with yep. you? What a great story Catherine Graham is. For those of you who are not familiar with her story, you know she led the Washington Post during the time of the, the Nixon-Watergate journey here in the States. And the way she came into the role, and I'm not remembering the details, but I think her husband had passed away suddenly, or there was some major transition. And she found herself as the publisher of this newspaper leading this huge, huge publication with almost no experience having done it, having done anything in that genre, and then went on to step into that role and just 
perform brilliantly and and have so much courage and so much bravery in the work she did. And it literally changed the course of American history because of the courage she had as a publisher of the Washington Post to pursue this very, very challenging story when things were very uncertain early on of how that would all play out legally. The Post is a fabulous movie. I have not read her autobiography, and I've heard wonderful things about it as well. But I think she would be just a wonderful example of someone who was thrust into leadership. And then how did she handle that struggle? What did she do? The doubts that she had, and the movie does a a really nice job of portraying that as well. And so I think that those would all be wonderful places to go. And I think one of the best things we can do, and I love that you asked this question of like, who are the people? Who are the stories? I mean, it's one thing to read a book like The Leadership Challenge and How to Win Friends and Influence People, which are wonderful books to read and to have the models and the theory and so many things you hear about on the show. But one of the reasons that I love to do the Saturday cast and bring on the stories of everyday leaders is because I think if you can find that person that inspires you, that's a wonderful person to then follow and to know their story. So I would certainly encourage you to jump in on all those. And I hope that's helpful for you in thinking about how you might begin and continue your leadership journey. So let's tackle the next question here from Bridget. Bridget wrote in and said, I have a question about leading a diverse group of academics and government officials. I lead a center of excellence with the goal of applied research and training. We're coming up on a potential financial opportunity to renew our center, and I'd like to hold discussions with our members on our priorities and work on a vision for our next funding period. The program involves considerable funding and a smaller number of recipients receive direct funding from the center. I've heard some grumblings that the group is exclusive and I'd like it to be more inclusive. I'd like to discuss how to recruit talent and spread the financial support to accomplish our goals more effectively in the future. This is tricky because not all partners will get funding. I also want to offer a chance for others to take on a more involved leadership role, but I'm unsure on how to gather this information. We have annual meetings with short-term strategic planning discussions for the coming year, but I'd like to guide them through a higher-level discussion. Do you have any suggestions on how to start? I've considered gathering information via an anonymous survey first and then distilling it into topics for discussion and debate over several of our monthly leadership Zoom meetings. Bonnie, what do you think? Oh, this is an exciting question for me. I feel like I have about... 12 questions before I can even start to answer, but it's just because you're you're discussing things that are very near and dear to my heart and my work. There are a few thoughts that I have in no particular order. First, I would encourage you as you're having these discussions to try to work, if this is at all an issue for you, at not being afraid of discussing what's not working. I find that all too often in academia, we tend to not be as direct in our language and to shy away from candid feedback like that. And when you're casting a vision, you definitely want to be creating that shared picture together of what the future might look like. But I find that if we have the courage to also state what's not working and what we don't want it to look like, it can help us make those harder decisions when it comes down to setting priorities. And you're describing a situation where not everybody could get funded that you want to get funded. Those are the kinds of hard discussions that can come out if we also say, in addition to what we'd like things to look like, what we want to avoid in the future. And just to open yourself And the rest of your team up to that, I think, can be a really healthy and courageous thing to do. I would also encourage you to think about how you might encourage interdisciplinary work. If not everyone gets to receive the awards and you want it to be more inclusive, 
by encouraging and inviting people to think in more of an interdisciplinary way, you're able to help encourage where people with Oh, sometimes we can be, you know, more siloed. So people that are more in silos that perhaps are used to working with people that have similar thinking styles or act like them, look like them, can be encouraged to work outside of their discipline, outside of their silo, and really think through an interdisciplinary lens, which of course, in every discipline I can think of in the world today, with the problems that we have more and more, we really need this. And having that kind of an opportunity for applicants and and really weighing that more heavily, I think could really encourage the kind of inclusive dynamic that you're trying to achieve. We'll look forward to hearing how it goes, by the way. And, And when it comes to that vision, it's the last thing I'll say before I pass it over to Dave, is the more that we can talk in terms of it's five years from now and start speaking as if five years from now was present tense, the more we can get really crisp, really clear on what that vision looks like. And as we as we share these thoughts and record them down, it gets more and more real. And then we can figure out the steps that it will take to get there. Bridget, thanks for asking this question. What came up for me when I was reading it was your ask of us, of, or at least your mention of the exclusive versus inclusive. And there's a lot of ways to read that. And obviously, we'd ask you some follow-up questions if we were with you in person. The thing that came up for me in thinking about that is there's the tendency for a lot of us to think about inclusivity as far as diversity and equity and inclusion. And of course, we all want and are working hard, most of us, to help our organizations to be more diverse, more equitable, more inclusive of all different kinds of diversity. The other way to think about this, and of course, there's probably many other ways, and I don't think this is what you're asking, but I do want to mention it, is in who we serve and who we're going to help and who we're going to fund. And I think that that's a different way of thinking about this. And one of the things when thinking about a vision of an organization is making a very clear decision about who we are here to serve, and also by virtue of making that clear decision of what the mission and the vision of the organization is, is that also makes a decision of who we don't try to serve and that we don't try to be a resource for every entity, every organization that's, in your case, searching for funding or looking for support. And I think that that's really important to be clear about as an organization. We are here for this particular kind of work. We are here to fund and reach out to these particular kinds of organizations. And we're not necessarily about other things. And I think there is a tendency for a lot of us as leaders who have big hearts and who work with people on boards who also have big hearts and want to do a lot to sometimes overstep and try to do too much and do a mediocre job at trying to do a lot of things instead of being very intentional about the one or two core competencies of the organization. I don't think that's what you're asking, but I just wanted to throw it out there because for others thinking about that and thinking about the word inclusivity, you know, that's a word to be really mindful of. And one of the the people who's been on the show before that I really think has done some tremendous thinking about this is Priya Parker in her work and her book, The Art of Gathering. And one of the things that I've really taken as a message from her work is when making invitations, just in gathering people together to be really conscious of who you invite and also who you don't invite in order to create a dynamic at a dinner or an event or at a conference that really does support the kind of conversations that you want to have and the kind of relationships that you want to build. So that's another place that you may look to for a bit of inspiration on that, Bridget. So I hope that's helpful and uh, and let us know what you find useful from this. 
Our next question here is from Michael. Michael writes, for most of my career, I've been in hard areas like burn trauma ICU and the emergency department. I recently became a manager of the emergency department of the hospital I work at and everything has been great. Yes, I'm working long hours, trying to build a team and managing a large part of the community. When I have a patient or family complaint, I handle it well. When it comes to a different department, I catch myself starting to be confrontational to a point. I do not want to be labeled as the confrontational person that people dread dealing with, but I also do not want to be a pushover. How do I manage this and what are some things for me to do intentionally when I feel myself becoming confrontational when dealing with a different department? Well, Michael, some of this is mindset of do I, as a leader, look at my department or my function or my team as its own entity, or do I also look at my department and team as part of a larger organization that has a larger goal and vision? And I'm hopefully, most of us are thinking about how can I look at what we do as an organization, whatever we is, whether it's the emergency department or it's the accounting department or it's sales, how do we serve the mission of the larger organization? And I know that some organizations do not make this easy, right? Because there's silos, there's political turf, and it's very easy to get into that us versus them mentality. And I don't know what your organization's like, but maybe your organization is like that a bit. Maybe it is the culture of the organization that everyone's kind of out for themselves, and that's what's rewarded in the organization, and that's how people behave. And sadly, that is the culture in organizations, at least some organizations, where that's just, no one would say that, of course, but that's how the organization behaves. And so, of course, there's a lot you can do for your own team. And then the place that I think of, and the person that I think is just so brilliant on this is Peter Block. Uh, Bonnie's mentioned him a few times on the show before. He has also been a past guest. He has a wonderful book called The Empowered Manager. And when he was on the show, we talked about how to deal with opponents and adversaries. And one of the things that he says and he challenges us to think about is that politics isn't necessarily a dirty word. So we think of the word politics, and especially with everything going on in the world right now, we think about politics as a dirty word. But positive politics inside organizations is actually a really valuable skill for leaders to get good at and to get better at. And he says that we become political at the moment we attempt to translate our vision into action. So politics is a good thing if you're approaching politics with the right mindset. And so my invitation to you would be maybe not with everyone, maybe not within the whole organization, if the organization is ready for this, but how do you pursue your interests in a way that also honors the interests of others? And so listening to that episode, I think will be a starting point for that, but also you starting to look at outside of the confrontation, whatever the confrontation of the day is, how would you engage another department to look at things from their perspective, to do what I mentioned Dale Carnegie earlier, who, who said famously, try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view. So if I wanted to build a positive political relationship with someone else in the organization that maybe I didn't have very much of a relationship with, or maybe it wasn't the best relationship with, I'd probably want to go outside of the current conversation, the current issue, whatever it is, and to start off by thinking, what does this particular leader, department, organization need and want? 
what is important to them right now. And if I don't know that apparently, I might make some assumptions about that or go have a conversation and say, hey, I'd like to take you to lunch and talk with you about what your department's doing for the next six months, for the next year. What's going on? What do you care about? And find some way to be a partner with them and to help proactively in some way and build trust. And that for me would be the starting point of where I'd begin and to start to then approach the relationships across the organization, Michael, in the way you're already, it sounds like, approaching organizations within your own team and in serving patients, that you begin to look at how can I be someone that is going to support the success of other departments and organizations. And that is a starting point. And I'll say too, in some organizations, that won't be valued and occasionally might even be punished because people just don't play that way. And then you have to do, you know, you you focus on your team and you do the best you can for your organization. But I think that in a lot of places, there's an opportunity with at least some people and some other leaders to begin that conversation and begin that process. And if you're willing to do a little bit of that, I think often you can open the door to do a lot more and to build some trust where it may not have been. The thing I think is really interesting about your experience is that you have spent so much time in places where there's a lot of crisis. And I would assume that's still the case for you today. My parents run a nonprofit that also deals with crisis situations. They run a canine search and rescue organization. And most people, when I first say that, think that they're trying to help canines. But in fact, the canines help find lost people and they're trained to do that. And they go out and work with sheriff departments and police departments, etc. So I've talked a lot over the decades with my mom about these crisis situations and how her normally indirect communication style, she tends to be, you know, if we talk about where do you want to go eat, and Dave knows this, she's going to say, where do you want to go eat? Not a particularly direct person. But in those times, she knows as a leader that whoever is running that search, the person in charge is going to need to be very direct with their communication. And there needs to be very little questioning of that authority. Now, of course, you question that authority if the authority doesn't have all the information, et cetera. But, but I suspect that you know, you know every second that's ticking away could, in this case, in your work, mean a person's life is at stake. So we don't want to have tons of, well, we could try this or what about that? You know, those, those more direct times are going to be important for the success of what it is that you and the teams that you lead do. Having said that, a lot of times people who get very comfortable with that level of sometimes unquestioned authority and that ability to speak in such frank and direct terms, sometimes they forget about the other aspects of communication when things aren't in crisis. And as leaders carving out the time to make sure that there are those times that it's not 24-7 crisis and we're never evaluating how we did. So I can't tell exactly with this other department where the confrontations emerge, but if they happen to emerge during points of crisis, I think it would be very healthy for you as a leader to be able to go back and revisit that and start asking some questions about how we did as a team. And Dave alluded a little bit, we can talk about what goals we're aiming for, what metrics are we using to track those goals and our progress toward them. And then let's talk about how did we do, how can we get better and being able to name those things and having a time where instead of perhaps you're expressing in more direct ways what needs to happen, you're asking the questions, how can I get better as a leader? How can we work this process better? How do you think we did in this last 
whatever it was. And again, I don't know what type of a department is you're having confrontations with. This looks different if it's a department, like Dave said, that's accounting. I don't mean to pick on our accountants, but that's a different kind of confrontation than the nursing team that's supporting the surgeon in surgery. So is it it the person that's joining you in that crisis to be able to attempt to help that person and help restore their health? Or is it more just what we would normally see with organizational dynamics? So it's a really interesting question. I would just also say, I know Dave and I have mentioned this before on the show, but people like yourself who are regularly in crisis situations, that can become pretty addictive. I can say this as someone who is involved in my own institution's response to the pandemic. I feel myself starting to get kind of addicted to every morning when are those adrenaline things going to start rushing in my body for the next, you know, thing that's happened that we have to respond to right away. And I I'll say that this last weekend, I feel so good as I sit here and record this with Dave today that I was able to carve some time out and be a lot more proactive and thinking about the week to come. I knew it was going to be, it's going to be a wild ride. We just got started. It's Monday as we're recording this, but I want to be able to carve out, you know, what's important to me. What do I want to be able to say at the end of it's, it's a two week training we're running. So what do I want to be able to say at the end of that? And if I go into this with just deciding that, you know, it's, the whole world's going to be on fire and it's chaos and all that, you know, instead of that, I wanted to have, you know, sometimes for reflection, make sure I'm still getting my exercise, make sure I'm still carving out the times to enjoy the time with the family, et cetera. So people who work in crisis situations like you have to work even that much harder to carve things out like that in your life. I suspect you've already ran into that before and also in your communication styles with other departments. So I would suspect, although how would I know, but I'd suspect you may um, be needing to be less worried about being a pushover and a little bit more worried about not always being that direct and, you know, upfront and something's on fire and you got to take care of it for me right now. But of course, there's so much information I don't have sitting here today. Lots of resources mentioned in the episode notes, as well as this week's weekly leadership guide coming up Wednesday. Watch for that. In addition, if these questions got you thinking today, several related episodes that might be useful to you. One of them is episode 25, What Search Dogs Can Teach You About Engagement. That's right. Uh, That was with Jan Frizee. Bonnie mentioned her mom, Jan, who was on that episode back on episode 25, talking about her work as CEO of Southwest Search Dogs. It's a search and rescue organization here in Southern California. They partner with many of the local law enforcement agencies to do searches when people are lost and they need to find someone quickly. Uh, They use the search dogs to find them and it's just a fascinating organization of volunteers who have done incredible work over the years and in that episode jan and i talked about some of the strategies they utilize how they work with the dogs and then some of the inspiration we can take as leaders obviously very different kind of work but a lot of inspiration we can take as leaders as far as how we uh, take the next steps to influence and work with people and many other things episode 25 for that also recommended i mentioned earlier episode 59 seven principles for leading people older than you. And Bonnie was my guest on that episode. And we had talked uh, about the question that was asked earlier of how do you lead folks that are older than you? It's something that many of us have found ourselves in that position. And also many of you are supporting other leaders, newer leaders in some cases, who are also finding themselves in that situation. And it's a topic I haven't really heard discussed very much formally in many leadership programs. And yet it is a reality 
that does tend to be an obstacle for a lot of us. And so in that episode, Bonnie and I talked through what are the strategies and principles that worked for us when we found ourselves in that situation earlier in our careers. Also recommended episode 338, Your Permission to Screw Up. I mentioned Kristen Hadid's work earlier in the conversation, a wonderful episode and uh, really features some of the wonderful stories she has about leadership in that conversation. Also recommended episode 328, how to deal with opponents and adversaries with Peter Block. Just a wonderful and useful conversation around organizational politics. He's definitely one of the top thinkers on that. It is a very helpful place to go if you find yourself in a situation like perhaps Michael or maybe even a more complicated situation where the politics are pretty tough inside the organization. How do you start? Peter does a really nice job of making invitations to us in that episode of where actually we do begin and how to process that well. And then finally, recommended is episode 395, How to Create Meaningful Gatherings. I did mention earlier also the work of Priya Parker. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you have not already, set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. That's going to give you access to the entire episode library, searchable by topic. One of the topics that this episode will be filed under is new leaders. And there's many other conversations we've had over the years that feature uh, some of the strategies and principles around how to lead, especially if you're stepping into leadership for the first time. And that's one of the many categories there. Plus, once you register for your free membership, you'll get the weekly leadership guide on Wednesdays, access to all my book notes, the member cast, and so much more inside your free membership. Coachingforleaders.com is where to go for that. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Robbie Kelman-Baxter to the show. She's going to be teaching us about where to start on subscriptions. You've probably noticed a lot of organizations are starting to do work on subscriptions. It's something important that leaders should know about as a business trend. We're going to be talking about it in detail next week. See you then with Robbie. Take care.